Al Jazeera podcast. A critic of the EU, NATO and funding the war in Ukraine has won Slovakia's general election. Robert Fitzo's populist Smur SD party got 23% and the right to form the next government. So what's behind this vote in Ukraine's neighbour? I'm Emily Angwin and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now in Bratislava is Elena Kutsko, the Vice President of Policy and Programming of Globsec, a public policy think tank. In Berlin, Ben Aris, founder and editor-in-chief of BNE Intelli News. He's also the former Moscow bureau chief for the Daily Telegraph. And also in Bratislava, Pavel Demesh, a former Slovakian foreign minister and advisor to Slovakia's first president, after the breakup of Czechoslovakia. A warm welcome to all of you and thank you for joining us on the program. Before we look at the broader geopolitical implications of this election, I want to first get your take, uh, Pavel, on the results. Were you uh, surprised by Fico's win, albeit he does need to form a coalition still, but what does that say about voters in Slovakia? It was very tight election and one of those extremely important ones because they were deciding about uh, policy both at home and uh, also foreign policy uh, of Slovakia. Uh, and uh, until last moment, it was not clear whether he is going to win or uh, now second progressive uh, uh, party, which uh, happened to be the second. Uh, all international community got quite interested in this because uh, in this period of turbulences in EU, unity of EU, unity of NATO, two groupings of which Slovakia is member of since 2004, uh, show that there may be some crack again, similar to Hungary, which was already mentioned. But I think that uh, today's announcement by uh, Robert Fico, leader uh, I mean, winner of this election shows that he claimed that there will be no change in foreign uh, policy of Slovakia, EU and NATO membership uh, will be reality. But since his language and was rather inflammatory during election campaign, which helped him to come back for fourth time as prime minister, caused all of these worries. In conclusion, I would say that unlike Hungary, where Viktor Orban is very strong politician who has majority, uh, Robert Fico doesn't have majority, uh, strong majority, he will have to create coalition comprising of at least three parties. Mm. And his second potential strong candidate, uh, former Prime Minister Pellegrini, yesterday very clearly stated that he will join coalition only under circumstance that Slovakia's position vis-a-vis -vis EU and NATO will not be changed. So I don't think that comparison with Hungary um, is accurate one. And we will see how rhetorics, pre-election rhetorics, will be changed uh, during government formation process, which started today when President Zuzana Chaputova asked Robert Fico to come out with his proposal for 75 
plus members because Slovakia has parliament, one chamber parliament consisting of 150 deputies. Yes, I want to get onto the coalition before we look more closely into the role of Slovakia's neighbours. Elena, the shape of this next government and its policy towards Ukraine are really dependent on the makeup of that coalition that is formed. How do you see that playing out? Uh, as Pavel mentioned, Robert Fitzo has the first opportunity to form the government as the winner of the elections. He has a couple options on his table. Most likely, he will be able to form a coalition of three parties. The, sec the third largest party, led by Peter Pellegrini, the last party, will be decisive, and the votes will be indispensable. But they will also need a third partner. That could be either a Slovak Nationalist Party, which is in its orientation is more pro-Russian and will definitely will be pushing more in this direction. But they also have an option to include the Christian Democratic Party, which Peter Pellegrini prefers, which is more pro-European and more moderate. Ben, one analyst in Bratislava, Dominika Hadju, said that for most voters, it wasn't primarily about Ukraine in this election. It was more about values, conservatism and liberalism and bread and butter issues like food and fuel prices. Do you share that view? Yes, absolutely. Um, looking at the whole of Central Europe, um, there's a sort of values fault line that runs down the middle of it. Uh, and to the left in Western Europe, we have this sort of liberal uh, European values, uh, promotion of equality, gender rights, um, uh, LGBT rights. Whereas if you go to the right into what was Eastern Europe, um, then it's much more based on sort of Christian, conservative, orthodox family values. Um, and there's a sort of basic clash there uh, between the two. Moreover, Fito in, uh, in the elections, I mean, he was campaigning on, on these sort of things um, that the accession countries, the new countries of Central Europe, um, they're not as on board with the whole EU project, the, the values part of it, as uh, as we are here in the West. And also the basic you know, cost of living, uh, the rising inflation, food prices, energy prices, and these things are starting to hit the people in the pocket. And after a year and a half of this war, they're starting to get a bit tired of that. Um, so there's a certain fatigue going on within society. Pavel, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov is forecasting war fatigue, as Ben has just said, war fatigue in the West, growing and increasingly splitting opinion. Does he have a point? I mean, we're looking at billions of dollars in military aid which has been provided by the West over the past 19 months. Definitely, Ukraine uh, war played important role in these elections, but as was said before, there were much more of these... Uh, value-driven uh, campaign and conservative versus liberal and so on and so forth were playing very important role. But Robert Fitzo was accusing uh, United States that it, together with Russia, basically, that this was clash between U.S. and Russia on territory of Ukraine, A, B, that uh, he was strongly against uh, sanctions against uh, Russia imposed by EU NATO. And also, I think that uh, he was uh, benefiting of pro-Russian sentiment, which is rather pronounced uh, throughout Slovak society. But I don't think that uh, these, that Slovakia, which played such an important role in political, humanitarian, economic and military terms vis-a-vis uh, -vis Ukraine, that 
this will disappear because Slovakia is member of Eurozone. We are intertwined economically with EU. Uh, over 80% of our export goes to EU. So Robert Fico will be uh, will need to balance his policy vis-a-vis EU, NATO, or uh, I mean, uh, taking into consideration our membership obligations and so on. So I don't think that. Uh, he will just walk out of this. He will try to make his point in negotiations how to settle this conflict, or I would suggest that he is such a pragmatist that he will even be able, together with new cabinet, which will announce uh, most likely in government manifesto uh, adherence to EU and NATO, uh, some degree of cooperation also on further military assistance, because Slovakia still has besides car industry, quite well-developed military industry. Just picking up on what Pavel said, Fitzo has doubled down on his pro-Russian stance. Uh, he's opposed to sanctions, as we've just heard, and wants to stop aid to Ukraine. Elena, how else is he likely to show his support for Moscow? Uh, we will see. And again, much will depend on the exact uh, composition of the mm. coalition. But it's also important to dig a little bit deeper even in the campaign promises. For example, Fito's promise that he might potentially stop providing military aid to Ukraine might not necessarily be as consequential as it seems. Slovakia has already provided enormous amount of support for Ukraine in terms of military aid. There's not that much that Slovakia has now in stock that could be given to Ukraine. So even if this decision is actually going to come to force, it does not necessarily mean that it will change the situation on the battlefield. But of course, the political unity in the European Union matters. If, if FITO indeed comes to power, it would mean that there will be more voices coming from Central Europe that question support to Ukraine at the European level. And by extension, it will be more difficult for the EU to reach consensus, or the decisions will be delayed and potentially watered down. But again, we still need to see whether he delivers on his campaign's promises. There were two points that I wanted to pick up there, um, Eleanor, on that. Firstly, uh, Ben, Eleanor mentioned about the flow of arms not necessarily changing to Ukraine. Uh, Slovakia has already given most of what it can spare. It was the first country to provide Ukraine with fighter jets and air defence missiles. So do you agree that the impact on the ground in Ukraine via Slovakia won't necessarily change? Uh, I think the, the issue of arms is a key one. And as you mentioned, I mean, most of the, uh, the NATO members have actually depleted their stocks uh, of arms that they had available uh, to send to Ukraine. They're running out. I mean, there was just a uh, defence forum in uh, Kiev at the weekend where they're talking about manufacturing. The EU's also promised a billion dollars to invest into new production. And so um, there is an ammo crisis brewing in Ukraine. They're already running low. And consequently, they have to get these arms from somewhere uh, by setting up more production. And the stocks that are remaining in the NATO countries uh, are the residual stocks they need to protect themselves in case this war explodes, escalates, and it becomes an out-and-out -out confrontation between NATO and Russia, which is at the back of everybody's mind. So uh, I think in the short term, Ukraine is in a difficult position trying to source these arms. But... As I say, I think the West has actually run to the end of the road of what it had in stock to give Ukraine and now needs to invest in the, in the production to make more 
uh, munitions. And that process is already ongoing. And Ben, just as you mentioned the West, how closely will it have been watching this election? How, how, was, how will the rest of Europe have been watching this election unfold and what would they be making of it? Uh, very closely. Um, I mean, as Elena mentioned, I mean, European unity is key here. And what surprised everybody was the level of unity that was in the EU at the beginning of the war, where sanctions they rolled out were extreme, and they brought down a lot of costs on Western Europe. As a result, we're soaring energy prices, the energy prices we have, we're soaring food prices. However, the longer this goes on, it's been more than 18, 19 months now, then the... Um, this fatigue is building, people are becoming tired of the costs. And this election is part of a wider move uh, in Europe where you can see some of the countries are unhappy. They want the war to finish. It's costing them too much money. Um, we had this result in, in uh, Slovakia, but then in Hungary it's already gone away. The Greeks are increasing the amount of oil they're transporting for Russia. And there's, when the EU tried to put through this 15% energy cuts, then most of the countries turned around and said no. And the whole story was was highlighted with the um, with the grain crisis we had recently, where Poland, Slovakia, Hungary banned the import of Ukrainian grain, their only hard currency earner, because it collapsed the local markets. And so now, increasingly, you've got this tension between the stand by Ukraine for political reasons, which everybody's on board with, and then the interference in national interest, the damage it's doing to your economy, which people are unhappy about. And I think that's Putin's game. He's going to spin this war out for as long as it takes to wait for that unity to crumble. And we've seen a few cracks. I mean, that's what this election result means. It's another crack in the unity, but it's not broken yet. It hasn't broken yet, but it's a, it's a worrying sign. Pavel, Speaking of those cracks, how can the West engage with Fizzo and his potential coalition and not lose Slovakia to Russia? Yeah, uh, two points before I answer this question. Uh, Slovak Minister of Defence in caretaker government was in Kiev uh, during weekend, during this meeting of building new industry uh, for military uh, purposes, which was in Kiev. Today, uh, there is a meeting of uh, foreign ministers of EU in Kiev and Slovakia's foreign minister Miroslav Lachowski is in Kiev and uh, declared uh, uh, continuation of support of Slovakia to, to Ukraine and so on. And lastly, uh, also new EU ambassador to Ukraine, uh, Katarina Maternova, is Slovak official. So I think that for us, this is a country which is occupying our attention and is testing basically whole body of politics in Slovakia. I believe that uh, there are two points which are going to show seriousness uh, of Slovakia as a member of EU-NATO and as a reliable NATO member and provider of assistance to Ukraine. And it will be a coalition creation and what will be in government manifesto. And secondly, who will become our new foreign and defense minister? Because my guess is that uh, Robert Fico will try not to put ideologue, but rather professional on these uh, two positions, which I believe uh, will try to, uh, to dilute this suspicion that Slovakia is another Hungary, that Slovakia is a country which will be undermining unity uh, of EU and NATO. 
I just simply, my feel is that uh, uh, Robert Fitzo and his coalition partners will try to fix some of these damages in perception of Slovakia. And lastly, I think that this image issue became quite obvious after exit polls were released, which, which suggested that Fico lost and that progressive Slovakia won elections. And when we woke up Sunday morning, things were completely different. Fico was leading about 5%. But in right. parliament, he doesn't have such a strength that he could just simply divert country into Hungarian way. Sure. And there are a lot of... Um things still to be confirmed in relation to the coalition and how that plays out. But I guess if I can return to my question, how best can Slovakia engage with the West, given that uh, Fitzo has doubled down on his pro-Russian stance as early as today? I think that one can expect that uh, Robert Fitzo will try to prove that Slovakia will continue to be partner of EU and NATO. He will try to show some uh, sort of his suggestions what that how peace should be brought in or something along along those lines. But Ben, I see you shaking your head there. Did you want to jump in? No, I think it's true. Um, the, 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 I don't think there's going to lose Slovakia to Russia. Uh, I don't think that's an option. It remains an EU country and bound to the EU. Um, and nobody's going to go over and support Russia after this unprovoked invasion of Ukraine that's caused hundreds of thousands of deaths. However, there is a subtle game here of how we exit, where are the off-ramps. And that's still not clear because the positions between Ukraine and Russia are so far apart that they can't even begin to start talking. And so we're stuck in this stalemate, and the fighting on the ground is also ground to a stalemate, and it's the worst possible of all scenarios. Um, and for the European politicians, I think everybody's looking for an off-ramp some, of some sort. And in the case of Hungary and Slovakia, um, they want to see that happen sooner than anybody else because they have serious economic interests and suffering serious economic pain from this uh, whole conflict. But we're loggerheads here. Uh, I, I don't see there's anything we can do. And as I say, for a European country, a European Union member to be captured by Russia is inconceivable at this point. Elena, as we've heard, Slovakia, Hungary and Serbia all have shown significant sympathy for Russian President Putin. Could Poland and its upcoming, uh, upcoming election rather be next? Could we see the influence there? Poland is a very different country. And we can also compare them by looking at the public opinions before the war, but also during the war. In Poland, support and sympathy towards Russia was very low historically, which is a different case in Slovakia, where between 30, 40, or sometimes 50% of, of Slovaks would say that uh, they consider still Russia as an important and strategic partner for the country with whom in the future they would like to have good relations. In Poland, the situation is very different. Of course, there are parts of Polish society who are equally tired of the war and who want to pressure their political 
politicians to pay more attention to the kitchen table issues at home, but it does not necessarily mean that the Polish foreign policy will change. But for a second, I also want to go back to Slovakia and emphasize again the important point that Pavel was making about ability of Robert Fico to make compromises when they need when he needs them. Mm. He already was prime minister for three times before, and during his previous terms, we saw that he managed very skillfully to both be friends with Russia, maintain very good relations with Russia, and at the same time be a constructive partner at the EU level as well. For example, he supported sanctions against Russia. So chances are he can be pragmatic again. And by the way, Slovakia has a lot to gain by being friends with Ukraine and by having good, rela good relations with Ukraine. Uh, Slovakia definitely wants to be part of the reconstruction of Ukraine. It will benefit significantly from a stronger economy in the region, from stronger logistical ties. But even if we go back to the issue of military supplies, there is a level of pragmatism there as well. What Robert Fico said is that he is going to stop military supplies to Ukraine, probably meaning the ones that are paid from the Slovak budget. But there is very strong military industry in Slovakia who is manufacturing weapons for Ukraine, which are paid by external partners. So I think this pragmatism will also be applied in these cases and such type of contracts will be able to continue. I guess it also comes down to this idea of an open-ended commitment. You know, as we've mentioned, it's been 19 months since this war has been going on. We've already seen France and other major European countries opposed to that idea of an open-ended commitment. So, I mean, what are you forecasting in terms of the, the next coming six months, 12 months? Ben, I'll, I'll direct that question to you and then I'll ask Pavel. The war will continue. Um, we're just uh, coming up to the end of the summer, and um, I think both sides have made it clear that they're going to continue fighting in the winter, which is extremely cold and will be difficult conditions. The prospects of any kind of ceasefire, I mean, the, the start of the heating season would be a natural point to reassess. Um, the reports coming out of Ukraine about the progress of the counteroffensive that was like, much hyped um, have been very disappointing. Uh, Practically no territory has changed hands at all. We're talking about villages along the line of contact. And uh, there's no prospect uh, for any kind of breakthrough, that, which is what the counter-offensive was hoping for, was a repeat of the spectacular success of the Kharkiv offensive last September, where Ukraine broke through the lines mm. and ran amok and retook hundreds of kilometers of territory. And this time they've, they've taken back nothing. And so, at the same time, both sides have just put through their budgets for next year and have massively increased military spending. Putin's clearly in this for the long haul. And um, I, I, the analysts I talked to said that, that Putin, the Kremlin, won't even can think about starting any kind of ceasefire talks until the results of the U.S. presidential election are in next November, because there is a possibility of a big change there. Again, the fatigue in the U.S. is very clear. They just took out the Ukraine support from the budget bill that just went through yesterday. And that's his game. I mean, he's hoping for the for the unity to crumble. Um, but he does want the war to end. This is costing Russia's economy a huge amount as well. And they want to end the war. They want to end the sanctions regime. But um, my prediction is that we have at least another year of fighting. And, Pavel, just quickly, we've only got a minute of the program to go. How do you think the people of Slovakia will be assessing what's happened in terms of their parliamentary elections and going forward? Uh, I think that uh, 
we need to expect uh, continuation of Slovakia's uh, membership in EU. I mean, of feeling both of politicians and people that we are in good or bad members of EU and NATO, and we need to do everything to overcome some of the cracks, uh, these beliefs, and help Ukraine to win this bloody war. And I believe that what Ben was mentioning, these uh, Russians are expecting that America may change uh, politics after war, uh, I mean, after elections, because Donald Trump would fix things within 24 hours, and he's still very hot candidate. So let's keep fingers crossed that the U.S. will be leading whole NATO, and we in EU will be united, uh, confronting this war and other big challenges which are ahead of us. Well, we've run out of time. We've certainly covered a lot of ground this afternoon. We appreciate your insights. Thank you to all of our guests, Elena Kutzko, Ben Aris and Pavel Demesh. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Umi Kulsum Sharif, Fungi Nguyen and Jimmy Gerahan. Studio sound was by Haseeb Hashmi. The program was edited by Anirban Saka, Zainab Butter and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Tuesday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, as Israel and Saudi Arabia gear up towards a deal to establish relations, where do the Palestinians fit? That's The Take from Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.